what Elon Musk just did may actually help the cause of justice in the United States of America. It's much bigger than Twitter or social media. Also, we have to talk about the disconnect between the ruling class, the elite, and the rest of us today. There's a lot going on today on the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 295 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Friday, December 2nd, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right. Before we get to Elon Musk's chapter one of revealing secret files about how Twitter helped Joe Biden rig the 2020 election, I was sent a remarkable, remarkable video that really explains the disconnect between Washington, D.C., both parties, between those folks and us. And uh, I got I to gotta share it with you, and then we'll go on to what Elon Musk has been letting the cat out of the bag with what Twitter did to help Biden and his crew rig the election in 2020. There's a guy named uh, Marco Rubio. He's one of the United States senators from Florida. I interviewed him several times when he was running for the Republican nomination for United States senator in 2010. And at the time, a lot of us thought, this guy's going to be president someday. He spoke with no notes, no teleprompters. He spoke from the heart. He had a message of believing that this is the greatest place in America. Uh, America is the greatest place in the world. He said that most people in politics believe that the twenty-one, the twenty-first century was going to mark the decline of this great country. And most people that, you know, 
running for higher office wanted to just manage the decline. And he disagreed with that strongly. He said, no, our best days are ahead of us. This is the United States of America, the best country in the world. He gave an impassioned speech about how his mom and dad had come here with nothing but the clothes they had, and and this is the land of opportunity, unlike almost everywhere in the world. You can make something of yourself. It, it, It didn't matter, you know, what family you were born into. You could make something of yourself in the United States of America. And those of us who heard him speak when he's running for United States Senate in 2010 thought this guy someday is going to be president. And unfortunately, once he got into the Senate, I think a number of people on the other side of the aisle thought the same thing, and they thought, how can we neutralize him? And so he hadn't been in the Senate for too long when he became part of the Gang of Eight. Four Republicans and four Democrats who were going to compromise on the issue of illegal immigration and what was going on on our border with Mexico. And that's when a lot of us who had trusted Marco Rubio from the beginning all of a sudden soured on him. It's like, hey, man, that's not cool. And you're, you know. Now, he could easily continue being reelected United States Senator from Florida for the rest of his life. That's not really an issue at this point, but a lot of us who were hoping that he would run for higher office, when he joined together with uh, McCain and a couple of other uh, Republicans and four Democrats with with an immigration bill, we really soured on him because the idea that you could trust Democrats to keep their word on some kind of negotiation on an issue that, that that was that important just seemed to be naive at best. And, you know, so anyway, uh, enough on the the background and, and, and my history with Marco Rubio, uh, but he can still give a great speech and he still really has an insight into where a lot of us in in flyover country are coming from and and our concerns, whereas most of the people in Washington, D.C. are in a bubble. So when a friend of mine sent me this speech that he gave on the floor of the Senate and I listened to it, it occurred to me, okay, I'm going to have to share this with my folks, and then and then we'll get into what's going on with uh, with Elon Musk and and Twitter, and the important thing, uh, you know, why it should matter to people who have never and will never be on Twitter. It, it's a big thing. Um, 
I'm kind of touching the third rail in uh, doing a talk show today because in radio, in talk radio, consultants and program directors will tell you, look, social media is not real life. Now, most of the people who listen to you are on Facebook. I get it. But most of them are not on Twitter. And so it does, Twitter doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, program directors and consultants realize that talk show hosts have to be on Twitter because that's where you do show prep because that's where the news breaks. But as far as Twitter being a subject for you to talk about on your talk show, that's just insane because most of the people who listen to your talk show are not on it, don't understand it, are not interested in it. So today, after we share this Marco Rubio speech, you know, I'm, I'm going to break a rule. But, you know, that's what I do. Um, because what Elon Musk has just done is very important for the cause of justice in the United States of America, um, regardless of the fact that most Americans are not on Twitter. And we'll explain the whole thing. Anyway, um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and share the, uh, the Marco Rubio speech first because it's one of the best I've heard in a long time uh, breaking down the stark differences between where official Washington of the Uniparty is and where most of the rest of us are. Here he is, senior senator from the great sunshine state of Florida, uh, Marco Rubio. I got a chance to go home, had some close family friends who had a loss in their family over the last few days, wanted to go back and see them. I get this email 3 a.m. I didn't see it till 5 a.m. that my 8 a.m. flight is canceled. And so I had trouble getting here this morning. I was finally able to get here in time for the vote we took just a few hours ago. But, but I didn't get here for the first two ones. So I had a chance that morning to do two things. The first, I had a chance to take my son to football practice. It's that glorious time of year when high school football is going. And, and then the other thing I had a chance to do is I had to go. I had a chance to go to this uh, Cuban bakery that's close to my house. I don't get to go often. But when I do go, especially on weekends, I look for one of these little corners and just sit there and I really like to go because I get to hear people talking people that live on planet earth not people that are here in politics and in the bubble that is Washington and you get to hear people talk and, and you you know and what I heard first one of the first things I heard today is about two ladies that were in line and they were talking about how difficult it had become you know it's back to school shopping time and even with the tax-free holiday week that we have in Florida I heard I could hear them talking about how much more expensive it was going to be this year to buy, how the list was longer, and everything cost more, like pencils, all the stuff. I couldn't hear everything. I didn't want to entirely eavesdrop, but I, but I could hear what they were talking about. A few minutes later, these two guys come in. He's like, hey, are you taking the boat out today? No, I'm not taking the boat out. I can't. I'm not taking my kids out. The gas is too expensive. It's crazy to fill it up. It's twice what it used to be for the boat, X, Y, and Z. A few minutes later, someone else came by, and he was talking about um, you know, the, the reports on the news. We have a massive migration crisis, which impacts the whole country, not just the land border. But we, we had this weekend, I think, six or eight border patrol engagements in the Florida Keys, people getting on rafts and leaving and coming there, um, maybe two more today. 
and it struck me as I'm sitting there, and I've been reminded of this every time I go home, but, but it really struck me before I came here today that we like to talk a lot about how divided politics is in America, and it is. It's very polarized. But I think we make a huge mistake when we think it's as simple as what normal political divisions are in this country, which is between Republicans and Democrats or between the left and the right. The polarization in American politics, the division, the sharpest division in American politics today is between the priorities of millions and millions of people who live paycheck to paycheck. The working class of heroes of our country that we've always bragged about, always looked up to, we all recognize makes us different than the rest of the world. Between the things that matter to them and what the people that run this place, and I don't just mean the Senate, but the federal government and politics in general, are focused on. There is a universe of difference between the stuff we spend time voting on and talking about and arguing about in politics and in this place and what people are worried about on a daily basis. I know a lot of you think that everyone's glued to their TV and Twitter watching everything we're doing here tonight. They're not. They know they may know something's going on tonight, maybe. But most people are worried about their everyday life. You know, now I need to address this. Because I don't know how many times I have heard someone say on Fox News over the years, well, the American people aren't fooled by this. The American people have figured this out. The American people are concerned about this. And whatever the issue is, that one of these people on Fox News is referring to when he or she says the American people this, that, or the other, whether it's a politician, Republican or Democrat, or whether it's just one of the talking heads, conservative or liberal, on Fox News. I'm always sitting there thinking, no, you're wrong. Even if I agree with the person on the particular issue, okay? I'm not saying you're wrong on this issue. I'm saying you're wrong saying the American people look at it this way. Because the overwhelming majority of the people in America are not aware of the issue. Now, we're aware of inflation, and the majority of us blame Biden for it with good reason, but we can't get away from that. Most issues that people in Washington, whether conservative or Republican, uh, whether conservative, Republican, or liberal Democrat, or somewhere in between, think the American people have arrived at a consensus on, most people in America don't even know about the issue because they have lives, you know. They're normal people, unlike politicians and unlike people who do what I do, who, you know, just doing show prep around the clock 24-7. So Marco Rubio is politely trying to tell the people in, in, in Congress, hey, most folks back home are not interested in and are not fighting over the issues we're interested in and the issues we're fighting over here in Washington. I just had to address that. Here's more. What they expect is that we would be here, I don't know, working on the things that matter to them. I'm telling you that with the people by the millions registered in both political parties, people that voted for Biden, people that voted for Trump, I'm telling you what they're worried about is the fact that the streets and many cities in this country have been turned over into, to criminals. 
We've got prosecutors funded by Soros who refuse to put people in jail. They won't do it. Entire categories of crime. They won't even, they won't even uh, prosecute them. Even in Florida, a state where we do prosecute people, you go to a CVS or a Walgreens, everything's locked up behind that little plastic case because people just walk in and steal the stuff. It's a spirit of widespread, rampant criminality, and it's worse in other parts of the country. One of the reasons why people are leaving these other places. These are once beautiful, glorious cities. They're unlivable. That's what people are worried about. They're worried about becoming a victim of a crime because some animals are running loose, terrorizing people, and prosecutors won't do anything about it. Not to mention that we spent two years demonizing police officers around here as well. That's what they're worried about. They're worried about the border. They really are worried about the border. I get it. Maybe now it's going to change because they're busing them to New York and here to Washington. But I get it. It's very easy in the upper west side of New York or in the West Hollywood area to not worry that much about immigration. We shouldn't have a border. Let's be nice. But the people whose hospitals are being overrun, whose schools are being overcrowded, whose communities are being strained, are the communities that are taking this influx, seven, 8,000 people a day. We're the only country on this planet that lets people just show up and say, hey, I'm here, I'm staying. The only one. Mexico doesn't allow you to. You can't do that to Mexico. You can't do that to Canada. You can't do that in Europe, but you can do it here. People know it. That's what they're worried about. It's a huge problem. And they're worried about the price of everything. People focus on gas. It's funny, you know, the president said he couldn't control gas prices until they started going down a little. You know, one of the reasons why it's going down, people are driving less. They're not going on vacation. They're not taking the boat out because it's expensive. Frankly, that's what they wanted. Be not, do not be fooled. That's what they wanted. They were not unhappy about high gas prices. They were just upset that it happened a few months before an election. But the Democrats and the left, they were not unhappy about high gas prices because they don't want you to drive. They want everybody to take a bus or buy one of these $90,000 Chinese electric cars. That's what they want everybody to do. We'll talk about that in a minute. They were not happy, but it's not just that. I mean, you go, I don't know how many people here do their own groceries, but in my house we do. And I'm just telling you, it just, it's twice what it used to be. I, I get it, my kids are growing and they eat twice as much too, but it's twice what it used to be on everything, on everything. And that's just food. That's the other problem with inflation. People talk about inflation as a... The, the inflation that matters the most is the necessities. Not the flat screen TVs, not the new car, the, the necessities. That's what's going up in price. Housing, clothes, back to school supplies, food. All of that is through the roof. Caused, by the way, by partially, by a bill, one of the first things they did in March. $1.9 billion, trillion dollars of, of federal money, of your money, people's money, poured right into the economy. We had a supply shortage, and we created more demand with all that money. Anyway, that's what people are worried about. Inflation, the crime, the border, the real-life stuff. What have we spent our time focused on and fighting around here? I can tell you, first, a fake, and I mean a fake, a completely fake electoral rights crisis, election rights crisis. Totally fake. Spent a lot of time on that. Spent a lot of time arguing about whether we were going to vote on a bill to make it easier to sue police officers. Spent a lot of time around here talking about, in government, federal government in general, talking about things like pregnant people. Something that does not exist. In the 5,500 years of human history, every single pregnant person that's ever existed happened to be a woman. But we talk about pregnant people. We have a military that likes to put out tweets about the proper use of pronouns. We worry a lot about those things. We focus a lot on those things. You know what China's focused on? Blowing up our aircraft carriers. That's right. That's right. That's why people like uh, Jesse Kelly 
great talk show host out of Texas, and I think Colonel Kurt Schlichter, too, are saying we're going to lose the major war because under this regime, the brass, the people in charge of the military, are focusing on exactly the wrong things. Rubio is, is just, he's killing it here. Here's more. Maybe we should worry more about that. We spent a lot of time now. This, this, this is, this basically is build back, whatever the way they build back better, junior. Just a little bit, a lot of money, but just less money. This is no, they might as well have voted for the one. I don't know why the senators that kind of gave them their vote on this, why didn't they just agree to the other one? This is just a smaller version of that. That's what this is. But anyway, that's what we're focused on. So you can see, we're up here, we're going to vote late at night and into the morning, which is fine with me. I don't know if it's fine with everybody, but it's fine with me. But at least if we're going to do that, let's be about the things that the people care about, that matter to real people in the real world. It's not. Instead, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. What we're going to spend time on is a $30 billion slush fund they call green loans. That's what it is, guys. It's a slush fund. It is for all these people that have companies that are in the green energy space. That's their buddies. They're not going to be able to tap into this loan program. They've done this once before, but not a $30 billion slush fund. Okay? We're going to spend $60 billion solving environmental racism. I, I don't even know what that is. I don't know anybody knows what that is. It's like when they say Latinx. I thought that was a band. I've never heard that word before in my life, and I don't know what environmental racism is. $9 billion on tax credits to help people that already have electric cars buy another electric car. Let me, let me tell you guys something. You may not realize this. I get it. Maybe because the bubble around here is so thick. So let me tell you the truth. A lot of people that vote for you guys as well are not buying an electric car this year, next year, the year after that. For a lot of reasons. Number one, charging stations. People, I mean, the common sense of everyday people. They're not doing it any time in the near future. Maybe this will help them 30 years from now or their grandkids 30 years from now, but not today. They're not buying an electric car because even with your little rebate, it's still too much for them. They're lucky they can get a new one with gas in it. They got to buy a used car. That's another problem we have. Okay, we're going to help though with this tax, $9 billion to help people buy tax credits, by the way, with a Chinese battery in it. Oh yeah. You can't make those batteries without China. So, great for China. I imagine they'll spend a bunch more money on solar panels that are also made in China. And to kick it all off, thank God, this is a good one, because I know a lot of people are worried about this. $1.5 billion to plant more trees. Whatever. And then on top of all that, they're going to hire an army of IRS agents. This is the one that I love. They're going to go after the people that aren't paying enough in their taxes. Let me explain to you something. I don't like it. I don't necessarily think it's a good thing, but I'm going to explain something to people that, that, that don't understand this. These billionaires who, by the way, fund all their campaigns, just got a huge break in this bill, very ironic. These billionaires, these corporations, these people have armies of lawyers and law firms and accountants. And I'm telling you, they will fight these agents. So who do you think these agents are going to go after? Because fighting these corporations ain't easy. And you will eventually run out of billionaires to go after. They're going to go after small businesses. They're going to go after working people. Maybe people that make $250,000 a year. We think that's a lot of money. In some places it is in this country. In some places it's a good living. But you're not rich at $250,000 in some parts of this country. You're doing all right. No doubt about it. But you're not a billionaire. They're going to go after them. They're going to go after the people that cannot afford to hire an army of lawyers and accountants to fight off the IRS agents. 
thousands of IRS agents. We're not police officers to go after criminals, IRS agents to go after American taxpayers. That's who they're going to go after. I promise you, and I regret to say it, that a lot of hardworking people are going to be getting letters in the mail saying, hey, we want to talk to you about your taxes from five years ago, from three years ago, because we think you might have messed up. And you don't have an army of lawyers or lobbyists. You're going to pay them whatever they say, even if you have to take out a credit line on your house because you don't want trouble with the IRS. That's what this bill does. That's what this bill is. Everyone else is covered. And they cynically call it the Inflation Reduction Act. And let me tell you why they call it that. And this is actually very sad and outrageous. They call it that because I'm telling you, and I hate to say it, but a lot of the people behind this kind of stuff... They see hardworking, everyday Americans as a bunch of uneducated simpletons who will just fall for this. And the media will help them. They know the media will help them. Not all the media, but a lot of the reporters will help them. Even though the reporters themselves keep calling this a climate bill because they're so giddy about that part of it. But they think people are going to just fall for it. People are not going to fall for it. I don't care how smart you think you are and how educated you, uneducated you think they are. They've got something most people involved in our government have lost or maybe never had. It's called common sense. And they have the common sense of knowing that making it easier for people to buy with a credit an electric car in three years is not going to do anything for them. They're not buying an electric car anytime in the near future. You know what they want? They want gas prices to come down because America's producing more oil. That's what they'd like. Now, let me, let, me, let me jump in here about the common sense. No one that you hear speak on behalf of the Biden regime has any common sense, whether it's Dementia Joe himself, Kamala Harris, uh, John Kirby, the, the spokesmouth over there for uh, the regime. He used to be the, the spokesman for the D- Defense Department. I don't know what he's a spokesman for now. He's not the White House press secretary. The other one, without the common sense, Karine Jean-Pierre, who, you know, called Nobel Prize the Nobel Prize four times in 22 seconds the other day. She 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 has no common sense or any kind of sense. But um, none of these people have any common sense. Uh, Janet Yellen, your, your secretary of the Treasury, doesn't understand how anything works. She says stupid stuff all the time. She believes inflation has been caused by people splurging. Yeah. People buying too much stuff. Okay, uh, Kirby is now National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications, whatever. And so you know why when you have a regime like the Biden regime, not it doesn't matter to them whether any of these people they hire, like Pete Buttigieg, to be Secretary of Transportation, any of these people, you know why it doesn't matter whether any of these people have any common sense? Because the people in charge are not trying to do good things for this country. They're grifters. They're embezzlers. They're just trying to get rich. And there's a whole lot of evidence on Hunter Biden's laptop that the big guy, Dementia Joe, has gotten insanely wealthy through his son. 
making deals with, you know, our enemies. So when you're a guy like Dementia Joe and, and whoever the puppeteers are pulling his strings, the only thing that matters to you when you are vetting people for positions is if they check off the right boxes. So it doesn't matter that your White House press secretary is dumb as a doorknob. She's a black lesbian. That's the only thing that matters. You don't need somebody with common sense to be your secretary of treasury or your secretary of transportation. It doesn't matter. So that's what that's about. Anyway, here's more from uh, Rubio. That's what they'd like. They'd like you to put criminals in jail and keep them there. They'd like you to secure our border just a little bit. Don't pretend that you're doing anything about it because they know the truth. Guys, it's a scam. This very weekend, this very Friday, and I live in Miami. I don't read about this stuff in a magazine, okay? I see it with my own eyes. I hear it with my own ears. I had this couple telling me the flat-out story, okay? Their kids were already here because their kids were born here years ago when they were here visiting. Their kids were born here, U.S. citizens. Their kids are already here. This couple paid $5,000 each. They were driven to the border in a van. They were turned over to an agency right on the border who turned them over to the officers. They spent a day and a half in detention. Their papers were filled out. They were turned back over to the agency. The agency asked them, where would you like to go? I would like to go to Miami. They gave them a a, a ticket to go to Miami. They even gave them a little card to buy things before they got there. And now they're living in South Florida. And what do you think? You don't think they're going to call back home and tell people, hey, we made it, and here's how we made it. And those are the people that can afford to buy the $5,000 each or save it. A lot of people can't. So they have to turn themselves over into the hands of these criminal, delinquents, traffickers, evil persons that, that take advantage of these migrants. And they're coming because we are inviting them to come. This administration is inviting them to come. They're inviting them to come. When you tell people, don't come, but if you do, you're going to get to stay, they're going to come. And that's what's happening. We're not focused on that. They get it. People back home get it. And you're not going to convince them that any of this stuff here is any good for them. And it's happening, frankly, guys, because the modern Democratic Party. I Listen, I live in South Florida. It's a majority Democratic county. I've had Democrat friends. I've worked with liberals my whole life. I've done a bunch of bipartisan stuff. You're not bad people. But the modern Democratic Party does not care about working Americans. The only thing they care about is the agenda of a bunch of laptop liberals and Marxist misfits who threaten to burn down any city anytime they don't get their way on some issue and a bunch of climate extremists. And that's what this bill reflects. At least two of those three. And that's what this bill does. That's the only people they cater to. Most Republicans in Congress don't care about the concerns of average Americans either, which is why I began each show referring to the Uniparty, just so you know. That's what their issues are always about. And what they do is they put on the disguise of calling it the Inflation Reduction Act, but they can't even say it with a straight face. They really can't because they know it's not true. This bill has nothing to do with what real people in the real world are worried about every single day. And the ironies are so thick. You know, I think about this carried interest uh, loophole, uh, as they call it. We've got prominent members of the Democratic Party in the Senate who have made a career out of calling that basically an unfair and immoral benefit for hedge fund managers and, and, and greedy billionaires. They've made a career out of it. 
Yet today they will vote on a bill that stripped out taking rid of that loophole. They'll vote for it. They'll vote for it. That's the irony embedded in all of this. So they'll do their press conference and speeches. Uh, they'll be very impressed with themselves. The Twitter warriors are going to love it. The MSNBCs and the Meet the Presses are all going to say whoever, CNN, whatever. They're all going to be giddy about it. But millions and millions of working Americans, nothing is going to change for them for the better. There isn't a single thing in this bill that helps working people lower the price of groceries or the price of gasoline or the price of housing or the price of clothes. There isn't a single thing in this bill that's going to keep criminals in jail. There isn't a single thing in this bill that's going to secure our border. And those happen to be the things that working people in this country care about. And the gap between the people who run this place and the people who are the backbone of this country is so massive, the disconnect is so great, that the divisions is driving in our politics are reaching a boiling point, unfortunately. What makes this nation different from all the countries in the world is our working class. Every nation has rich people. Every country in the world has wealthy people. What's made us different is that here by the millions, people like my parents, a bartender and a, and a maid, were able to own a home and raise a family and leave them better off than themselves. And they were never rich and they were never famous and they lived the American dream because they retired with dignity. And with their own eyes they saw their children have the opportunity to do the things they themselves never could do. That's what makes us different. Those are the people that are hurting. Those are the people that got wiped out in 2007 and 2008 when Wall Street created a crisis and Wall Street got bailed out. Those are the people whose kids couldn't go to school because in some parts of this country we shut school down for a year and a half. While the people shutting down the schools, their kids were going to private schools and had private tutors. And those are the people that are getting destroyed right now by this economy. And they're being ignored and disrespected and completely, completely obliterated by a bill that does absolutely nothing for them. And that's what your U.S. Senate will spend late into the night and early into the morning voting on. The disconnect is massive. And I can point to a lot of examples. But this has become Exhibit A in that disconnect. I yield the floor. Yeah, the disconnect is massive. Now, one of the things Senator Rubio did not mention He alluded to the fact that most Americans are not interested in most of the things that the people, most people in Congress are interested in. Most Americans are not interested in the things that they argue and fuss about in Congress on the regular. But well, he, he talked about a lot of things the rest of us are interested in. But he specifically and conveniently did not mention one thing that most of us aren't interested in, and that is continuing to throw money at, continuing to throw billions of dollars at the very, very corrupt country of Ukraine. Most of us are not interested in continuing doing that. But uh, I think, unfortunately, Senator Rubio is. 
because I'm old enough to remember when he had uh, Victoria Newland under oath earlier this year. And he asked her about um, the uh, bioweapons labs in uh, eastern Ukraine. And she said, yeah, we did have them there. They are, we have bioweapons labs in eastern Ukraine. Victoria Newland, by the way, is Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, but she uh, she was in the Obama administration for a long time. Anyway, instead of asking her why we have bioweapons labs in eastern Ukraine, because that's kind of crazy, he just said, well, if anything bad happens over there, then it will be the Russians' fault. So... Marco talks a good game, and he makes some good points. I just, um, I just hope that someday he'll be more consistent in applying his recommendations to himself. That's all. No, we all have blind spots. Look, I'm I'm not perfect. None of us are. We all have blind spots. I will never, never, never forget. Many years ago, because I've been in radio for many, many years. I say I have been in. Even though I'm I'm off radio now since October eighth of last year. You know, it's my life. I, f- I feel like it's my career. I, I feel like somehow by the grace of God, maybe I'll be back on someday soon. But anyway, so I had goofed something up, and uh, some of the fellow DJs were upset with me. I was kicking myself for some mistake I'd made. I have no idea what it was. But the general manager of the radio stations and this would have been over 35 years ago. He said, well, Doc, here's the problem. You can do 99 things out of 100 right. And the one thing you get wrong, that's what people will give you grief over. He said, there was only one perfect man ever walked the face of the earth. And we hung him from a tree. And, of course, what he said was absolutely 100% true, but it shocked me because he didn't present himself to be a religious person. And so, I mean, he was the last person that I would have expected hearing this from. And I'm like, wow, that's heavy. That's deep, man. You're right. You're absolutely correct. So anyway, um, that having been said, I just need to reiterate what a blessing it is that when I did get fired from the radio, that by the grace of God, some friends of mine gathered around me and invested 
and getting this show off the ground. And then in pretty short order, we started getting advertisers who enable us to continue doing the Doc Washburn show day in and day out now into our second year. And, and, and I can't express my appreciation strongly enough for our friends, for our advertisers, including Mitch Ward over at Red River Your Way. Now, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage. You may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online. They'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. RedRiverYourWay.com, you will be glad you did. All right. It is always a thrill and an honor to remind you about Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes as well as multi-line users. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you are shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. Also, if you're a conservative-owned business and you're tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas, 
Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, now offers competitive business plans to sue companies of any size. It's easy to switch your business to Patriot Mobile. Learn more at business.patriotmobile.com or call their 100% U.S.-based member services team at 469-FREEDOM. Again, remember, use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. That's business.patriotmobile.com or just call them at 469-FREEDOM. All right, let me tell you what's going on. Um, A lot of folks who use social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or or something else, Instagram maybe, um, have noticed that these big platforms are dead set against us. They're run by liberals. Um. And they squelch what we're trying to do, what we're trying to say. I remember when Obama was running for re-election in 2012. If I would try to send an article critical of Barack Obama to someone on a private message on Facebook, Facebook would not allow me to do that. You know, it's it's been over 10 years, but I remember clears clears a bell. Well, Twitter also, Twitter also has been throttling conservatives and conservative messages. And uh, at the behest of the regime, even before Biden got in office, and that's a bad thing. So I want to, by the way, Elon Musk spent $44 billion to buy Twitter. And I'm thankful that he did. And I want to share with you what... Uh, what he began rolling out, what he began divulging on Friday evening. And he used a um, a reporter, Matt Taibbi, uh, wrote for Rolling Stone magazine for years. So he's certainly no conservative. And now he's got his, his own column at Substack. Substack is where a lot of independent journalists are these days. So for whatever reason, Elon Musk chose to use Matt Taibbi to kind of roll, begin the rollout of the Twitter election interference files. And liberal reporters, very upset about that. Because most liberal reporters are in the tank for the regime. Without any further ado, here is the way that the thread was presented on Twitter by Matt Taibbi. 
thread, the Twitter files. What you're about to read is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of internal documents obtained by sources at Twitter. The Twitter files tell an incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It is a Frankensteinian tale of a human-built mechanism grown out of the control of its designer. Oh, by the way, I was going to tell you why this is important to you, even though you're probably not on Twitter, because it is it is a very influential social media platform. All the journalists are there. All the politicians are there. All the influential folks are there. And if Twitter worked hand-in-hand with the 51 retired intelligence officials who lied through their teeth shortly before the election in 2020, saying the Hunter Biden laptop had all the classic marks of a Russian disinformation campaign. That's part of how they rigged the election. So I hope you don't just tune it out and say, well, I'm not on Twitter. It doesn't affect me. No, it already has affected you. It's already affected you. Anyway, Matt Taibbi continues. He says, Twitter in its conception was a brilliant tool for enabling instant mass communication, making a true real-time global conversation possible for the first time. In an early conception, Twitter more than lived up to its mission statement, giving people the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. As time progressed, however, the company was slowly forced to add those barriers. Some of the first tools for controlling speech were designed to combat the likes of spam and financial fraudsters. Slowly over time, Twitter staff and executives began to find more and more uses for these tools. Outsiders began petitioning the company to manipulate speech as well, first a little, then more often, and then constantly. By the year 2020, requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another, more to review from the Biden team. The reply would come back, Handled. So here's a screenshot. More to review from the Biden team. And they have like the uh, URLs of five different tweets. And within less than three hours, the response from whoever at Twitter has handled these. In other words, they're gone. We deleted them. Matt Taibbi continues, celebrities and unknowns alike could be removed or reviewed at the behest of a political party. And here's another screenshot. It says, I grabbed the first one under SI, defer to safety on the high-profile second one. And then it says, an additional report from the DNC. And it's got the evidence there of them deleting a tweet from uh, actor James Woods. Matt Taibbi continues, both parties had access to these tools. For instance, in 2020, 
requests came from both the Trump White House and the Biden campaign. They were received and honored. However, this system was not balanced. It was based on contacts. Because Twitter was and is overwhelmingly staffed by people of one political orientation, there were more channels, more ways to complain, open to the left, well, Democrats, than the right. And he's got a link there to something called OpenSecrets.org, which tells you that the folks who worked for Twitter gave overwhelmingly to Democrats and Democrat causes when it comes to political contributions. Matt Taibbi continues, The resulting slant in content moderation decisions is visible in the documents you're about to read. However, it's also the assessment of multiple current and former high-level executives. He says, okay, there was more throat clearing about the process, but let's just jump forward. The Twitter Files Part 1, how and why Twitter blocked the Hunter Biden laptop story. On October 14, 2020, the New York Post published Biden secret emails, an expose based on the contents of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via direct message, a tool hitherto reserved for extreme cases like you know child pornography. White House spokeswoman Kaylee McEnany was locked out of her account for tweeting about the story, prompting a furious letter from Trump campaign staffer Mike Hahn, who seethed at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. Wow. That was on October 14, 2020. This led public policy executive Caroline Strom to send out a polite WTF query. In other words, what the were you guys thinking? Several employees noted that there was tension between the communications policy teams who had little or less control over moderation and the safety trust teams. So Caroline Strom was emailing other folks at Twitter saying, hi team, are you able to take a closer look here? Thank you. About the complaint there from the Trump campaign staffer. Strom's note returned the answer to the laptop story had been removed for violation of the company's hacked materials policy. Oh, my. From Elaine Ong Sato, Ops Analyst, Global Escalations Team, she said, Hi, Caroline. Thanks for reaching out to us. Per checking, the user was bounced by site integrity for violating our hacked materials policy adding them here for further insights and guidance. So in other words, I'm looping in the site integrity folks in our email. So she's claiming that Trump's White House press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, was bounced off of Twitter for violating our hacked materials policy. 
Problem being, of course, that nothing was hacked. Hunter Biden left the laptop at a computer repair shop, and 90 days later, he hadn't picked it up, he hadn't paid for it. So, Matt Taibbi says, although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign hacks, there's no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. The decision was made at the highest levels of the company, but without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey, with former head of legal policy and trust Vijaya Gaddy playing a key role. Now, if you remember, if you saw the pictures of Elon Musk his first day at Twitter when he took over, and you saw uh, an Indian-looking lady who, if looks could kill, you know, he'd be a dead man, just glaring at him. That's who this person is. So one former employee of Twitter characterized this decision as, they just freelanced it. Hacking was the excuse. But within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that wasn't going to hold, but no one had the guts to reverse it. Matt Taibbi continues. He says, you can see the confusion in the following lengthy exchange, which ends up including Vijaya Gaddy and former Trust and Safety Chief Yoel Roth. Communications official Trenton Kennedy writes, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this as unsafe. Yeah, that's... Um, That's how he starts. The screenshot here says, October 14th, 2020, New York Post, Hunter Biden laptop article, Privileged and Confidential. Our teams continue to investigate the origins of the material included in the reporting. So communications official for Twitter, Trenton Kennedy, says, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this as unsafe, and I think the best explainability argument for this externally would be that we're waiting to understand if this story is the result of hacked materials. We'll face hard questions on this if we don't have some kind of solid reasoning for marking the link unsafe. And... He copies several people on it. Uh, Katie Rosborough, not sure who she is, says, will we also mark similar stories as unsafe? Interesting. Matt Taibbi continues. He says, by this point, quote, everyone knew this was, well, I don't cuss. Uh, we'll say goofed up. That's according to one former employee. But the response was essentially to err on the side of continuing to err. So Yoel Roth says, the policy basis is hacked materials. Though as discussed, this is an emerging situation where the facts remain unclear. Given the severe risks here, 
and Lessons of 2016 were airing on the side of including a warning and preventing this content from being amplified. Vijaya Gaddy says, what is the warning that will come up? Yoel Roth says, when you click the link, you'll see the generic unsafe URL message uh, referencing spam, malware, violations of the Twitter rules. Not ideal, but it's the only thing we have. Ian Plunkett says, whatever we do in the communications, this will become a bias claim for Jack pre-hearing immediately. Let's make it clear we're proactively but cautiously interpreting this through the lens of our hacked materials policy and allowing the link with a warning and significant reduction of spread. Yeah, they uh, continue to err on the side of continuing to err. Wow. Matt Taibbi says, former vice president of global communications, Brandon Borman asks, can we truthfully claim that this is part of the policy? In other words, as part of our approach to addressing potentially hacked materials, we are limiting visibility of related stories on Twitter while our investigation is ongoing. To which former Deputy General Counsel Jim Baker, remember him? Used to be the top lawyer of the FBI. He again seems to advise staying the non-course because, quote, caution is warranted, unquote. Oh, yeah, good old Jim Baker helped rig the election for Biden. He says, I support the conclusion that we need more facts to assess whether the materials were hacked. He knew the materials were not hacked, by the way. At this stage, however, it is reasonable for us to assume that they may have been and that caution is warranted. There are some facts that indicate that the materials may have been hacked well, there are, no, there are there no there are, there are no facts to indicate the materials may have been hacked. Nothing. He says while there are others indicating that the computer was either abandoned, and or the owner consented to allow the repair shop to access it for at least some purposes, we simply need more information. Now he he knew, he knew he's just lying there. He was with the FBI. He knew the FBI had it since late 2019. Matt Taibbi says a fundamental problem with tech companies and content moderation, many people in charge of speech know slash care little about speech and have to be told the basics by outsiders, to wit. In one humorous exchange on day one, Democrat Congressman Ro Khanna reaches out to Ms. Gaddy to gently suggest she hop on the phone to talk about the backlash regarding speech. Ro Khanna was the only Democrat official I could find in the files who expressed concern. Okay. He says, Gaddy replies quickly, immediately diving into the weeds of Twitter policy, unaware that Ro Khanna is more worried about the Bill of Rights. Yeah. Talk about having a blind spot, huh? Is she even from America? Let me uh, let me just let me just check this out real quickly. She she's got a blind spot there. She thinks he's concerned about Twitter policy. He's concerned about the Bill of Rights. Let's see. 
Nope, born in India. But, but, she got her BS at Cornell and she got her JD at New York University. So she, you know, she went to NYU Law School, the one that Michael Savage always used to make fun of. And apparently they didn't really cover the the Constitution, the Bill of Rights too much when she went to uh, college and law school. That's remarkable. So here's the screenshot of her email to Democrat Congressman Ro Khanna. Hi, Congressman Khanna. Thank you for reaching out, and we appreciate the heads up. We put out a clarifying thread of tweets earlier this evening to explain our policy around the posting of private information and linking directly to hacked materials. The press secretary's account was not permanently suspended. We requested that she delete the tweet containing material that is in violation of our rules, and her account is restricted until she complies. I'd be happy to jump on the phone if helpful. My team in D.C., Jessica and Lauren, are copied here and also available to discuss. Well, he was concerned about First Amendment right to free speech, freedom of the press, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And she's lying because Kaylee McEnany's tweet um, was not a violation of Twitter rules. They were just trying to figure out a way to uh, cover for Biden. Okay. Matt Taibbi continues, Congressman Ro Khanna tries to reroute the conversation to the First Amendment mention of which is generally hard to find in the files. Rokana to Vijaya Gadi. He says, hope you're well, Vijaya. But this seems a violation of the First Amendment principles. If there is a hack of classified information or other information that could expose a serious war crime, and the New York Times was to publish it, I think the New York Times should have that right. A journalist should not be held accountable for the illegal actions of the source unless said journalist actively aided the hack. So to restrict the distribution of that material, especially regarding a presidential candidate, seems not in the keeping of the principles of New York Times versus Sullivan. So he's quoting a case that she presumably should know about since she got a law degree. He says, I say this as a total Biden partisan and convinced he didn't do anything wrong, but the story now has become more about censorship than relatively innocuous emails, and it's become a bigger deal than it would have been. It also is now leading to serious efforts to curtail Section 230, many of which... Would have been a mistake. I believe Twitter itself should curtail what it recommends or puts in trending news, and your policy against QAnon groups is all good. It's a hard balance. But in the heat of a presidential campaign, restricting dissemination of newspaper articles, even if New York Post is far right, seems like it will invite more backlash than it will do good. Please keep this communication between just us and Jack and no need to CC the team or forward to them. Just wanted to offer my two cents. Well, one of the problems here is they're saying that uh, Jack Phillips, not Jack Phillips, Jack, uh, 
What's his name? The head of Twitter. Jack Dorsey was not in the loop. Did not know what was going on. That's what they're saying. Reporter Matt Taibbi continues. He says, within a day, head of the public policy at Twitter, Lauren Culbertson, receives a ghastly letter slash report from Carl Jabo of the research firm NetChoice, which had already polled 12 members of Congress, nine Republicans, three Democrats, from the House Judiciary Committee to Representative Judy Chu's office. Okay, so let's see. From Carl Jabo at NetChoice, Thursday, October 15, 2020, 2.15 p.m., subject recap of Hill conversations about Biden and censorship to Lauren Culbertson at Twitter. He copies several other people at his outfit. He says, Lauren, yesterday NetChoice's Chris Marches met informally with nine Republican and three Democrat House staffers to gather intel about Facebook and Twitter in the New York Post story. The staffers hail from the House Judiciary Committee to Representative Judy Chu's office. Reporter Matt Taibbi says NetChoice lets Twitter know a bloodbath awaits in upcoming Hill hearings with members saying it's a tipping point, complaining big tech has grown so big that they can't even regulate themselves, so government may need to intervene. And here's a screenshot. It says, high-level takeaway. Every Republican said this is the tipping point. It's just too much. And both Democrats and the Republicans were angry. Oh, boy. Matt Taibbi says, Jabo reports to Twitter that some Hill figures are characterizing the laptop story as Big Tech's Access Hollywood moment. Access Hollywood. That is... um, that was the story of uh, the video from Access Hollywood, the, ad, the outtakes from years earlier coming out right before the 2016 election. Donald Trump, you know, saying sexist things about women. So here's the screenshot. When asked just how bad the situation is, one staffer said it's big tech's Access Hollywood moment and it has, and it has no Hillary to hide behind. Others are more blunt. They said tech is screwed and rightfully so. Matt Taibbi continues. Twitter files continued. The First Amendment isn't absolute. Jabo's letter contains chilling passages relaying Democrat lawmakers' attitudes. They want more moderation. And as for the Bill of Rights, eh, they say it's not absolute. Here's a screenshot. The Democrats, meanwhile, complained that the companies are inept. They let conservatives muddy the water and make the Biden campaign look corrupt. Even though, of course, the Democrats are saying Biden is innocent. They linked this to Hillary Clinton's email scandal. She did nothing wrong, but because the press wouldn't let the story go, it became a scandal far out of proportion. Of course, she did a lot wrong. But anyway, this is where the Democrats are coming from. In their mind, social media is doing the same thing. They say it doesn't moderate enough harmful content. So when it does, like it did yesterday, it becomes a story. 
If the companies moderated more, conservatives wouldn't even think to use social media for disinformation, misinformation, or otherwise. The Democrats were in agreement social media needs to moderate more because they're corrupting democracy and making all, quote, truth, unquote, relative. When pushed on how the government might insist on that, consistent with the First Amendment, they demurred, well, the First Amendment isn't absolute anyway. Oh, my goodness. Matt Taibbi says, an amazing subplot of the Twitter Hunter Biden laptop affair was how much was done without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey and how long it took for the situation to get um, ungoofed up. I don't cuss, so I got to figure out a you know diplomatic way to say it. Um, as one ex-employee put it, even after Jack Dorsey jumped in. Matt Taibbi continues, there are multiple instances in the files of Dorsey intervening to question suspensions and other moderation sanctions or moderation actions for accounts across the political spectrum. The problem with the so-called hacked materials ruling, several sources said, was that this normally required an official slash law enforcement finding of a hack, but such a finding never appears throughout what one executive describes as a whirlwind, 24-hour, company-wide mess. Matt Taibbi says, it's been a whirlwind 96 hours for me, too. There's much more to come, including answers to questions about issues like shadow banning, boosting, follower counts, the fate of various individual accounts, and more. These issues are not limited to the political right. Well... Maybe not, but they're mostly in the political right. I'm here to tell you that. Um, so, so that's it from Matt Taibbi. He says, good night, everyone. Thanks to all those who picked up the phone in the last few days. Now, I find it interesting. It's coming out about Twitter. It's yet to come out about Facebook and Google because we don't have the, the inner workings of those companies. But I find it interesting, the New York Post, of course, was the newspaper that broke the Hunter Biden laptop story. And so now uh, they're having a heyday with this. They've got a lot of, you just need to go to nypost.com. They have a lot of articles out. One entitled, Hunter Biden Laptop Bombshell, Twitter Invented Reason to Censor Posts Reporting. You see where they're going with this. Another one entitled, well, this is from October 14, 2020. This is the story that they did censor. Smoking gun email reveals how Hunter Biden introduced Ukrainian businessman to VP dad. And he did. And they have pictures. After Biden's like, yeah, I never talked my son about his business dealings. Pictures of him with the uh, with Hunter and the the executives of Burisma. Another article here from December third, twenty twenty two. Who is Vijaya Gaddy, the Twitter exec involved in censoring posts? Hunter Biden laptop bombshell. Yeah, 
Oh, man, there, there's there's a lot. There's a lot out there. NYPost.com. So check it out. You know, I, I got I to gotta tell you, again, a lot of times it feels like it's us against them. I'm talking about how the world's going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, and woke corporations that stand against everything we believe in. We all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom and pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? What can we do about it? How can our voices be heard? We can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop Factory Direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Switch to America.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created, with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. We now have over 30 different Patriot influencers on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow Patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We are done with a woke globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website is switchtoamerica.com. This is your invitation to join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Switchtoamerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to switchtoamerica.com. When it asks how you heard about us, click on my name, Doc Washburn. Switch from globalism to America. Switchtoamerica.com. Okay, now let me share with you best-kept secret American health care. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, psoriasis, migraines? The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how it works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away and it's never come back. The migraines went away and never came back either. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, 
psoriasis, problems with your blood sugar, even migraines. Do yourself a favor. Call my friends at Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people that we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside Central Arkansas and this sounds like something of interest to you, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on the tab that says Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. And big thanks to Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree, our advertisers, our friends, our doctors, who have just been lifesavers. They've been wonderful. All right, now, that having been said, I believe it's just about time to say, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Today's tweet of the day is from a young lady that I follow on Twitter. Her name is Eliza Blue, and it is short, sweet, and to the point. She's referencing the Twitter files that Elon Musk is divulging, that he is uncovering, that he's releasing. Now he's CEO of Twitter. She says the FBI files about all of the Jeffrey Epstein co-conspirators should be next. Amen, sister. Amen. We could do a whole show on that, couldn't we? But that, as they say, is for another day. You've been listening to episode 295 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, the views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us, and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a Terribly Messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth. And that's the way it is. Friday, December second, twenty twenty two.